you're giving the person the money, take the agenda off. Or get yourself a hot meal, yeah. you're putting an agenda on it. Uh, you, you want to find their story so you can judge them or so you can somehow ease your own guilt? No. Let people be. And, and it's this understanding, and I get where you're coming from, Danny. We want to move people to a place of listening, not with the intention of changing other people, but yeah. with the intention of understanding. And this is where we fall down. We want to listen so we can listen for the argument of what to say next yeah. so we can convince them to our side. And that's what I was saying about spiritual ego. We yeah. want to be right yeah. as opposed to want to hear. So I love that you're committed the, to that. The, my whole trip changed. My whole concept of my trip changed when I realized I am not doing something to fix people or fix the world. The world doesn't need to be fixed. It's not broken. I'm going out into the world to have the world teach me and to learn from the world what, how to see me in the me that is out there. This woman said something to me as I was talking to her because she did a trip similar to mine and I'm going to be on her podcast next week. And she said, the moment you realize that everything in life is a reflection of you speaking to you about you, you will have a different experience of the life you live. And I just went, whoa, you know, like everything in life is a reflection of me speaking to me about me. Mm -hmm. Makes the world so much different. And so let's take the segue that's, uh, that's just right here in front of us. Mm -hmm. But before we do, we have to take a little break. Oh, you're such a good marketer because they'll come back for this now, right? Exactly. Before we do, we have to take a little break. Okay, so uh, this episode, of course, is brought to you by the theawesomemusicproject.com, connecting music, science, and story to enhance mental health. You can find out more about The Awesome Music Project and The Awesome Music Project Foundation at theawesomemusicproject.com. So we're just going to take a little break here, and then we're going to be right back to continue our conversation with the great listener, Dan, <laughs> Danny Levine. We'll be back in a minute. Danny Levin, I apologize. We'll be back in That's a moment. Okay. See you soon. Welcome back. We're back here for another uh, episode and next part of this conversation that we're having with Danny Levin. And we're talking about listening at this point we've been talking about what listening really is we in the in the last section we talked about this connection between curiosity listening so not just being curious that's very important but how to really listen to what it is you're getting back from your curiosity and then where that goes to in the action that you take and what we finished up just now was looking at how the world is a reflection of you as you've heard me say many times before, if you've been following me for any period of time, you don't live in the world, you live in the mirror. Everything is a reflection of some part of you, maybe who you were, maybe who you are, and maybe who you want to be, but it's always reflecting back to you. That's where we finished, so let's get back with our conversation with Danny Levin. Come on in, Danny. Thank you so much. So what I love is how clear the image is for both of us of the guy in the t-shirt and jeans 
you probably looked a little hotter than I did because I was, you know, sort of, you know, a little bit wilder. But walking into the boardroom with the three-piece suits. Mm -hmm. When I wrote my book, The Mosaic, it took me three years to actually write it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that it would take two months. I thought it would be, I would easily be able to tell the story of my life in a fabulized version. But somewhere along the line, what happened is the characters said to me, we don't want to say what you're saying. Now you have to understand, these are characters that I made up. They're based on real life people, but they were characters that I made up. What right do they have to tell me what they want to say? These are, this is my creation. This is my book. But when you start to realize that the world and everything in the world is speaking to us, mm -hmm. that our businesses are speaking to us, that the characters in the book that we're writing are speaking to us, that the people in the street that we meet are speaking to us, you start to listen. And as soon as I started to listen, it took me about two months to finish the writing the book because I actually listened to what they were saying. So just like those people in three-piece suits saw you and, and, had, and had judgment, and saw me and had judgment. What do we do when we walk through the street and see the people that we see? Mm -hmm. The whole of the mosaic is a story about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where his parents are, they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So he sets out in search of this place called heaven, but he doesn't meet the rabbis and the shamans and the priests and the swamis and the, and, and the, you know, and the, the Sufis. What he meets is the homeless guy and the trash man, the juice maker, the street artist, mm -hmm. and the blind woman. And he wonders to himself, why am I meeting these people? What are they going to show me about heaven? Because he has a conception of heaven that to some guy with a beard much better than mine and a guy much wiser than me is sitting up on top of the clouds with a machine that says you come in and you don't come in and we're going to block you up. But what he realizes is every time that he sits with these people and he says, I'm just here, why don't I listen to what they're saying? Mm -hmm. So he sits with them and listens to them, tell them their story. The person he leaves is an entirely per different person than the person he first came to. Not because they've changed, but because he changed. Yes. And when he realizes that what he first saw is not at all who they are, and that happens to him time after time after time after time after time, he looks over to the right and he sees a monk unzipping the sky, welcoming him to walk through this crevice in the sky that he's now created to an, a world that exists in a parallel dimension to a wise one who's sitting there as the keeper of the mosaic and has a different experience. He experiences, and I'll let those people who are interested read it and those people who aren't, they don't need to know the rest of the story. But the whole perception the whole reason for the book, the whole purpose behind the book is not only a book about connectivity. It's a book about what happens when our perceptions change. Because the world that we see is the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And when we change the world that we see, the world we live in changes. 
That's true in our businesses. It's true in our relationships. It's true in our spirituality. It's true in our health. It's true in every measure of life. So what world are we seeing? What world are we connecting to? What world are we choosing? Do we see the fluffy first image of what people look like? Or do we take time to listen to their story? Do we take time to actually hear what this world we live in is saying to us? And how would that change? That's why I'm going on a year-long trip around the United States. And if I'm able to live that nomadic life where I work from the, my computer and I work from my car and I work from my van or whatever, or I work from the train that I take, I'm not sure even how it's happening because I'm waiting for that to all happen. Mm -hmm. If I can live that life, then the next step is to go around the world and do the same thing because I want to hear what people all around the world are saying. Yeah, it's... it's... It's a, it's a great challenge, and I, I actually love the challenge that you're putting forward because it's asking us to, to step in at a whole different level. I mean, I, um, you know, one of the things that happened right at the beginning of this conversation, and I know comes from our studies, our, your studies and mine, is, you know, when I sat with rabbis and studied, there would be, you know, we used to have a saying that put five Jews in a room, you get six opinions. Totally. And, I, and, I, and people think that that's kind of a, a down, but actually I see that as a huge compliment because it was the willingness to explore, as you said, one sentence for two hours. And yeah. we would explore that sentence from six different angles and looking at it in a different way. And it's that willingness to peel back the layer and I believe that that's what instilled curiosity in me in a, in a very healthy way, because it's that willingness to go deeper and asking the same question in a different culture will, re will receive something very different. So, Absolutely. you know, if you say, for instance, what does it mean to be heard? And you say that to somebody who is egoic, and driven to, you know, they say, well, you know, I need a hundred million followers on Instagram. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And somebody else says, what does it mean to feel heard? It means that I, there's a little twinkle in somebody's eye as I speak. Yeah. Right. So, and I'm, I'm not saying that either of those are right or wrong, but right. it's this, it, it's this asking a singular question from a deeper and deeper level and with the willingness to not make any of them wrong or right. 100%. To understand. And I just, I love that that is the inspiration for the journey you're on. However, yeah. you have been on a journey. You were on a journey before. Um, and that actually is part of your connection to Vancouver. So tell us a little bit about Banyan Books in Vancouver. You're in California, but Banyan, Banyan Books and how it influenced your journey. Well, we're going back to the time. So I'm almost 65 now. I'll be, I'll, I'm leaving on this version of my world trip the two days after I turned 65 on May 1st. April 29th is my 65th birthday. Very cool. When I was 18, I did. So three weeks ago. I, I, three weeks ago. <laughs> in, in the span of human creation, yes, that would be about three weeks ago. When I was 18, I did the same thing. 
strong, virile body hitchhiked around the world then. Mm -hmm. I was, I had the opportunity. Well, let me backtrack just a little. My parents passed away two years apart on the same day, July 4th. Wow. My, my dad when I was 13, my mom when I was 15. Um, in my dad, I lost my hero. Mm -hmm. um, probably in a lot of ways because I was a 13-year-old kid and I didn't really see him the way I, I would have seen him now. Yeah. But he, he, was, he was my hero. He was, he, I was his mini-me before people even you know, knew yep. what mini-me's were. Knew that term, yep. We waddled the same. We walked the same. We had the same, same bodies. We spoke the same. And I still do. What that brought me to was my mother's sister married a household name. And they lived in a different state in the middle of the country. I lived on the East Coast in Philadelphia. They lived in the, middle, in the Midwest. But when my parents passed away, instead of moving in with friends who I felt close to, I moved in with an aunt and uncle that I didn't know. Sure. Um, and they gave me an opportunity to see a world that I never, I never understood. I never would ever get a chance to see. I went from a lower middle class family. My dad died with one black suit and a mountain full of debt. And I moved into an elite family that was well known all around the world. Mm. And my uncle had no sons. So he said to me, it was in the, this was 1865. What is that? Almost 50 years ago, <laughs> um, 15 when I came. So almost 50 years ago. Right. He said, he said to me, that wasn't a time when you gave your business over to your daughters. A lot's changed now. That might happen now. But 50 years ago, that, that wasn't the case. He said, I don't right. have any sons. So I've been watching you for three months. And I think you have it. What I want to do is I want to start you pushing a broom. And I want to mentor you and watch you through the whole process. I'm going to be here for a while. But in 10 or 15 years... I want you to be in my chair. Mm -hmm. I want you to be running this company. And I'll train you. I'll watch you. I'll mentor you. You have a lot to learn. But you have qualities in you that I believe you can do this. Mm -hmm. I said to him, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for that offer. And I want to watch you for one year to see if what you want to give me is what I really want. It sounds unbelievable. And he said, Danny, do you know that 99.99999, say nine until you drop dead, percent of the people would have said, where's the broom? Right. And I said, yeah, I probably that's true. I said, just our rotten friggin' luck that I'm the point oh, 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 say until <laughs> you almost drop dead and put a one in there. Um, and and I, I can't do that. Um, so he said, yeah, but that's part of why I like you. That's part of what I see in you as, as a possibility. You're not, you're not, you don't crave this. You don't hunger for this. You want it, you want it if it's right for you. So I said, give me one year to watch you. At the one year point, 
he said, I'm going to come and take you out to lunch. He took me out to lunch and he said, do I, I, I want an answer to my question. And I said, you have to ask a question being the arrogant snide, you know, know it all that I was. I said, you have to ask a question first. He said, oh, you forgot the question you promised you were going to answer in a year. I said, oh no, I didn't forget that. I just forgot that this day right now is exactly one year from the time I said that. I will never forget that again. Mm -hmm. And it ended up, I asked him three questions. And from the course of the answers to those three questions, I said, I think we've made our decision, don't you? And that decision was that I wasn't meant to do that. That was his life, not mine. And so I went to college and studied psychology. I was excommunicated from their family. I went to college and studied because when I didn't do what they wanted, that was the control mechanism they had. Often wealthy people say, as long as you do what we want, as long as you crave the carrot at the end of my stick, I can get you to do whatever I want you to do. Mm -hmm. And out of all kindness to them, they tried, they took away the excommunication several times to sure. try and get me to do something else that they wanted me to do mm -hmm. but it just was never what i wanted to do um and i put my thumb around i, I went to school for two years for at study psychology got my undergraduate degree in psychology in two years put my realized that wasn't where my answers lay and i put my thumb out and i said i'm going to try and hit the road and see if my answers lie in the people that i'm going to meet so before we go down that road Let's backtrack a little bit. What were the three questions you asked your, uh, oh, I, your How did I know you were going to ask me that? <laughs> so, so in the course of the year sitting with him, I remembered a party that he had. It was his birthday party. And there were 300 people in his backyard. And I, I went up to him. This was like a, a party that Kings had. Mm -hmm. And I went up to him and I said, Gosh, first of all, happy birthday. This must feel so good to you to have 300 people here celebrating you in this festive way where you just know that these people just love you and want to celebrate with you and they're friends of yours. I said, do you remember what you said to me then? He said, yes, I do. I'd say it again. I said, oh, let, me, let me see if I can paraphrase it if this is right. I think you said to me, Danny, these people aren't friends. If I lost my money tomorrow, not one of them would be here. They're here because they want, they want to be around my money. He said, that's exactly right. That's what I said. That's what I would say today. Mm -hmm. So my first question to you is, why would you want to give me that gift? Why would you want to give me the gift of not thinking that anybody liked me for who I was? but just for the money that they would make as a result of manipulation of manipulating me to have what I have. I, so he said, I see this isn't going all that well. <laughs> what's, your, what's your next question? I said, um, your daughters are attractive women, but they're not, you know, they're not head turners. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're good people. Mm -hmm. But I remember sitting around the table with you at dinner and they started to get interested in boys and boys started to get interested in men. And do you remember what you said to them? And he said, I said, let me try and paraphrase again and tell me if I'm right or wrong. 
I remember you saying to them, you are not attractive girls. The only reason anybody would be interested in you is because of your last name. Wow. You're smart, you're attractive enough, but you just have to watch. People want you, want to be with you because they want what you have. So I said, let's say that I could get the first one and I could work it out, although you're a brilliant man. I don't think I'm going to be able to get to, get to the place where I get the people like me for me if you couldn't do it. But if I could, let's say I could for a moment, why would you want to give my children that gift? Mm -hmm. And he said, I see this is getting worse. I said, well, we still have one more question left. Maybe we can pull it back. I said, say I could get through that point and that point. Now I'm pushing a broom. I'm seeing the business from a janitor point of view. I'm working my way up from every possible level that you can imagine. I'm going from point to point to point, and I'm mixing it and interacting with the people at every level of the business. What if I were to see things along the way that I think could make the business a better business? Would you give me the permission to, to initiate changes while you're still in your chair that I see along the way that I could come to you and, and, and talk to you about? I said, so far, I've been pretty good with what I remember you saying, but let me put, it, let me, let me put this out and make sure that what I've, I heard you say is true. I remember you saying, Danny, if it's not broken, why would you fix it? Like we're a, we're a multi-billion dollar company. You're a little punk. Like, why do you think you would see something that we're not seeing? And we're, we're making billions of dollars. I said, is that what you said? He said, Danny, if it ain't broke, why fix it? I said, do you think we have the answer to our question? He said, yeah, I guess we do. I'm sad for you. I said, I'm also sad for you. We just have different perspectives. And it comes back to that same thing that we started talking about, that the way we see the world is the world that we see. Yep. And so mm. I said, there's nothing wrong. Like you're, if you're happy living the life that you're living, I, I, I salute you. I so, I so, and I, I want to thank you even in my excommunication I want to thank you for the privilege you've given me to see this world because I would have never in a million years seen it. Mm -hmm. It's an honor to me to, be, to, to have been here. And thank you for taking care of me for the two years that you took care of me. And it's time to go. I understand. No hard feelings. Did you, you know, you said you were excommunicated, you were brought back in, you were excommunicated. Did you ever rebuild that relationship? Um, it is cordial when we see each other. I invited oh, them. I invited oh, still my, around. my uncle passed away. My aunt is still around. Mm. Um, I invited her to my wedding. I invited my family to my wedding and they came. Um, we had a beautiful time together. Um, they, they are truly kind people. Sure. 
they wanted they wanted the best for me they believe to this day that they gave me every opportunity in the world and i and i turned my nose up on them you know you bring up something there that i think is so important for us to stop on and to have everybody get a little curious about in their own life <clears throat> and that is that person who you look at as being manipulative, being mean or cruel, what if you saw that person as wanting the best for you? Now, I'm not saying they don't have their own agenda because people do have their own agendas. But what I'm saying is that I honestly believe that at the base level, the people who are not psychopathic or sociopathic, but actually, you know, just have their own level of screwed upness, you know, because we've all got our own dysfunction, actually want the best for you. When they're telling you don't do this or don't do that, or you should, you should, whatever it is, they actually want the very best for us. And that is something that's very important for us all to remember. You know, I was, um, I just got back. I was in the UK for a few days uh, visiting my mom uh, as she gets ready to pass. And, you know, we live in enormously different worlds. My siblings and I live in very different worlds. Uh, and I know they probably wouldn't want my life, and I sure as heck wouldn't want theirs. But I do know they've always wanted the best, even when they tried to pull me down, when it was the crab in the bucket. You know, they were trying to pull me back into the bucket. It wasn't because they hated me. It wasn't because of anything else. Yes, it caused fury in me at the time and actually fueled me forward. But it's that remembering, and this is what you just said there, remembering that these people actually want to share what they believe is good. And so this is the understanding is that, you know, the, the best, and I've said this to people because I studied the subject of cults. And I said, how do cults work at a simple level? It's very simple they make you feel better first. And when you feel better first, you will want to naturally share that with others. So you will become evangelical for the cult because you feel better and you want to share feeling better with somebody else. You may be bringing them into a terrible shitty situation, but it's this driver within us that we are naturally, it is a at a soulful level, you would understand that from rabbinical studies and Kabbalah, but that soulful part of us that, that exudes and says, I want you to have the goodness that yeah. I have experienced, but we don't have enough depth of understanding of what that is, that we often misdirect people. And again, as you said, we're seeing the world through our own lenses. It's not the world that really is. The world is simply a mirror reflecting back. So I think it's a really important point that you brought up there, that your uncle, who clearly was not a happy man, who clearly felt- No, no, I, I, I don't think he clearly was not a happy man. I think he was a happy man. He had everything in the world. Yeah, but I don't think he was, I mean, when, when you said these people would not be here yeah. if it wasn't for my money, he was aware that this was not real friendship. At the same time, that doesn't change that he wanted the best for you. Even, but he may never have self-examined until you ask those three questions. Well, what does this really mean? And so I think that that's the point that we've all got to get to is, is 
that what something looks like. And you know, I wrote about this years ago when I said, I used to speak about this on stage and I say, how many of you in here, put your hand up, um, remember the story of Aladdin? And everybody put their hand up, right? And I said, but you know, do you know Aladdin from Disney? Do you know Aladdin from, from a 12 page hard book that was made for little kids? Or have you ever read the actual story? And people are like, no, I never read it. Well, if you read the story, the story is not about what you think it's about. And they go, well, what is it about? And it's about how we make poor choices. That's what the book's about. The first two of the three choices demonstrate, oh my God, I made a terrible choice. Right. Right? And the third choice is I want more jo choices. You don't get that. That's not an option. Oh, damn. Right. And that is the, that is the point is that we, what looks good is what we think we want, but what we actually soulfully need is never that. It's always deeper. I've heard people say all the time, look, I want a partner. Okay. Well, have you ever had a bad relationship? Yeah. Did it suck? Yeah. Did it feel terrible after a period of time? Yeah. Well, that's a partner. Yeah. You want to be a little more specific? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I realized is that take any situation, manifesting a partner, manifesting more abundance, making a better business. We think that we are not good manifestors, but we're actually excellent manifestors. Yeah. Because we're manifesting exactly the re we're manifesting our resistance to all that, so that we can't have all that. Mm -hmm. And if you think about just the simple story of the mosaic, of what happens when you see a person differently by just taking time to listen to them, what that means in terms of every aspect of our life, what would happen if we had the courage? to just allow a different perspective to enter us. The reason we don't have the affluence we want is because we're manifesting a lack of abundance. The reason why we don't have the partner that we want is not because we're not a good manifester, we're an excellent manifester. We're just using our manifestation to keep all of that away from us because we're scared to have what it is we want. 